It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary. Maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast with the Rain and Jays. I'm Jay King from MassLive.com here with Sam Packard, Sam Jam Packard from WEI. Today we're going to be giving you a little breakdown, positional breakdown of the Celtics bigs. So how does Al Horford impact the mix? Who should start at power forward? How should Brad Stevens fix, or not fix, but put together the bench lineups he might not need to fix it they might be they might be flowing right from the start who knows but but before we get started first of all subscribe to the show search for locked on celtics podcast wherever you get your podcast whether it's itunes stitcher audio boom wherever else search for us subscribe to us give us a five-star rating if that's possible Give us a six-star rating if that's possible. Whatever, Whatever's the highest, give, give us that. We earned it. We earn it every day. Daily podcasts are not easy to do. Uh, and and before before you listen to this, if you haven't already, Sam and I did a an emergency podcast, all Kevin Garnett. Go go listen to it, man. It's it's there's no better story than a Kevin Garnett story, and it was a lot of fun for us. I think to rehash Kevin Garnett's career. If in fact. He has retired. We we tried to give him a good good night. So, anyway, Sam, we'll, we'll get started with the positional breakdown now. First question: Which side of the court does Al Horford help the most on, offense or defense? Ooh! At first, I thought you were asking left or right, and I was like, "That's a dumb question, Jay." But really, <laughs> it was just a dumb response by me. Um, he, I'm gonna. He's a real left left court helper. He's great on the left side. I'm going to have to say my first thought would be on offense because the Celtics are already or were already a very good defensive team. So it's kind of like their marginal improvements they can make are not as much. But on offense, he really it feels like he's going to be the ultimate floor spacer for Isaiah Thomas doing pick and roll, pick and pop and just everything around unclogging the lane so Isaiah can drive. It feels like that's where he's going to have his biggest impact. Yeah, I did the math on this, and if he got the exact same amount of field goal attempts as Jared Sollinger last year, Jared Sollinger had 806 field goal attempts last year. If Al Horford gets the exact same amount and shoots the same effective field goal percentage this season, which is absolutely possible, he's been remarkably consistent in effective field goal percentage, then he would actually score more than 200 points off those field goal, more than 200 extra points off those field goal attempts in Solinger. that that's more than two almost two and a half about two and a half points per game which is crazy and in a league where there's not much separation between the best offenses and the middle offenses that two and a half points is a big deal and that doesn't even account for the extra shots he'll create the space he'll provide for Isaiah Thomas other guys going to the hoop 
So I think I think offensively is is where he'll provide the most impact, like you said, because the upgrade over Jared Sullinger in shooting, in pick and roll finishing, in all of that is is really substantial. And I don't think Sullinger got enough credit for his defense, and his rebounding will definitely be missed. But Horford's finishing and three-point shooting and mid-range shooting is going to make a huge, huge difference. We haven't even brought up his passing, where he's one of the better passing bigs in the league. And that means you can run actions through him. He can be kind of operating that high post, and it just kind of opens up the offense. We saw uh, Stevens try to do that a little bit with David Lee last year, but obviously David Lee is a trash basketball player, so it didn't work out. But with Al Horford, we didn't even bring up his passing. He's the ultimate kind of – he was played under the, the Budenholzer system, like passing the ball. It just seems like it's going to add to the offensive efficiency. And on the defensive end, he is he's a good defender, but you're right. I think Jared Sullinger was very underrated, especially for his low post defense. Like that man was a – Unmovable on the low block, and the Celtics really didn't have another person, type of person like that on the roster. Amir Johnson, I guess, is a would be the closest thing. But in ter- if there's like a large person who's looking to post up, like a Jaleel Okafor or Andre Drummond, Sullinger was their best bet. And so I don't know how well Horford's going to do to replace that. I think they're they're comparable, but it, with all things being equal, I think the he makes the better, bigger impact on the offense. And in and, and Solinger's defense, he, he was a really good passer, too, and he was a smart passer. He didn't turn the ball over. But Horford does all that, and he also provides the pick-and-roll dynamic. So, like, he's a much better roller than than Solinger was. And Isaiah Thomas didn't roll, run a lot of pick-and-rolls last year, and I think that's largely just because the Celtics didn't have anyone to really roll with him. It's like Amir Johnson's halfway decent, but, like, you don't really want to be running a lot of your offense so that Amir Johnson is one of your two primary options you'd rather have other guys involved and so I, I think they'll, they'll run the pick and roll more often I think Al Horford will make a major difference and the other question in the starting lineup I think is who else is the four who who, who would you pick to start at power forward I think it's obvious I think it's got to be Kelly Olynyk. we're talking all about floor spacing and uh just having three-point shooters and surrounding Isaiah with shooters uh He's your best shooting four. It just it makes the most sense to me to have what is he probably like your seventh best player. You're kind of want like probably your uh, as much talent on the floor to start the games, and he's capable from beyond the arc. Yeah, I think I would go with Kelly too, and with the disclaimer only if he's ready after shoulder surgery. Like that could be a big deal if if he can't hit shots like he normally does, and if he's not a threat to shoot like he normally is, then he doesn't provide nearly as much value with that starting lineup. But I, I think with Al Horford and Kelly Olynyk, all of a sudden, Isaiah Thomas has so much more room to get to the middle. to slide. He doesn't need a lot of room, but he's five foot nine. It is really, really helpful every extra inch, every extra foot that he can get. And Al Horford will pull guys away. Kelly Olynyk will pull guys away. And... and the, Stevens will be able to do some fun things with those guys if they start. So I, I'm on board the Kelly Olynyk train. I, I think, I think really it's underrated how Isaiah Thomas played last year. And obviously, I'm talking about a point guard now, but it's it's related to the bigs. It's really underrated how good he was and how efficient he was 
when he was starting in a lineup with Jared Sullinger and Amir Johnson. Teams sagged off those. You don't even have to pay attention to those guys. And Isaiah was still getting to the hoop, still finishing, still drawing free throws, still doing all that stuff, and he didn't have any threats to shoot and score from the outside at four or five in that starting lineup. So, again, Horford, I'm on, I'm, obviously he's going to start, and Olenek, I'm on board with that. And I, I think I think you're right. I don't think it's really that tough a call as long as Olenek's healthy. Horf, I mean, Amir Johnson w- would be the other option. I'd, I'd rather have him coming off the bench, playing center, providing this, the Horford-type defense for the second unit. Then you can have a rim protector. You can have that super smart. I think Bill Simmons used a, a great term in his podcast with Stevens. Like, those guys are the two adults, the the adult big men back there. Like, perfect word to describe Amir Johnson. He's just an adult presence. And to have that in the second unit, I think, is is critical. And, and they can basically have, like, a, a really good defensive center for 48 minutes with Horford and Johnson. I think that's the key, is that you need to kind of distribute those minutes at the five because if you – Say a Linux hurt to start the season, which he's probably likely going to be. If you play Johnson and Horford together, that bench unit with a Linux and Jarebko, you're going to just get abused down low, and it's probably going to be against other bench units. But still, neither of those two are uh, great post defenders, or you could play Tyler Zeller. I think it mo- makes more sense, like you were saying, to have both of those kind of those rotations. What do you think the Stevens does if? Um, if Olenek is uh, doesn't start the year or starts the year uh, hurt, I, I think in that case he goes with Johnson in the starting lineup and then Zeller and Jarebko at in at the four and five in the second unit. Because Zeller, like poor guy, didn't play much last year. The year before he was good, and I, I think it really hurt him to play smaller minutes. You could see his 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 confidence just wasn't there it was it, the, he was not the same player he was the previous year and he showed up in good shape all that but it's just he just lost it man it, it was it was almost painful at times to see him like like miss bunnies that that he always made the year before he he a lot of people give him credit for staying ready and he he did stay ready I'll give him that but he didn't perform nearly as well in limited minutes as he did the previous season with a lot of minutes. And I think that's normal for a lot of guys. It's, it's a confidence thing. But but definitely, I think he's more capable than he showed last season. So that, that's what I would go with. Um, the the One thing that I think is, is really important is they just have more shooting in the front court this year. And adding Horford helps that a lot because he can play five. And then you can you can have two shooters like last year if Jared Sullinger was in there you couldn't have a shooter if Amir Johnson was in there you couldn't have a shooter well that's not true they both they both shot the ball they just did it rather poorly and in Amir Johnson's case very very slowly <laughs> he's like the perk of three-point shooters like like you could you could tie your shoe you can grab a grab a b- bag of popcorn like you can you can cook a hot dog and then <laughs> and then he finally releases it like it takes him that long uh yeah man i i think the shooting is is just like there's a lot of a lot different this year I, they have just because of john's of horford rather 
like now you can have lineups with let's say Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, Al Horford, Jay Crowder, and Isaiah Thomas. Those are all average or better shooters from three. F- a five man lineup with thirty three plus percent from three and all threats to who can shoot high volume. So I think it's going to be a big difference. I think their offense will jump into the top 10 from number 13 where it was this year or this past year. And I don't can they go into the top 5? I don't know. Because they Al as good as Al Horford is and as much like help he adds, they still are not a great shooting team. Like those are all competent shooters but no like real great scorers other than Isaiah Thomas, so they really have to rely on efficient team offense if they're going to be a top five uh, scoring team. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll be top five. I, I'd say bottom half of the top ten, and then if their defense stays the same or gets better and that's top five, then that's close to contention. If, if you're top five in both, I feel like like you're you're at least a borderline contender at that point. You you give yourself a chance in a series. If you're top five in offense and top five in defense, you are a great great team. And I I would even go that. as far to say that if you're top five in offense and top five in defense, you're probably a top five team in the league. I would make that leap. <laughs> that, that I mean that is a, a pretty bold <laughs> claim there. Very very bold claim. <laughs> All right, Jonas Jurepko. What do you expect from him this year? Do you think he has a role from day one? Yeah, I think he's probably the the last guy that comes off the bench. He's the the hustle forward, the guy who allows you to go small even on your bench units. Um, I think he has a role, maybe like ten minutes a game, but it's not going to be huge. He's a just he's going to do exactly what he does is just work his ass off, get some offensive tips and offensive rebounds, and then occasionally make some threes. But I don't think there's going to be like huge Jonas Jerebko games or anything like that if he's just going to be the the consummate role player. I I asked about him because the past two years have kind of followed the same cycle for him. Like, he didn't have a role and then he got a role and then by playoffs they were like, damn it, we need Jonas to start again. And so I I think now they realize how, how important his defensive versatility is. I think like last year if you remember he's he started off he was playing some three he, he's not a good small forward like that does not oh he's atrocious well. he cannot defend any small forwards and it's just makes him look so bad to ha- run him out there at the three yeah he's such a different player from the three to the four and this year i feel like he'll just be the second unit power forward from day one and they won't have to figure that out because they don't have all the bigs they had last year. They don't have, you know, David Lee. They they don't have Sullinger. They they're not trying to like make five or six competent big men work. And they know that Tyler Zeller can sit on the bench and and do nothing if you if you need him to. They they know he's okay with that and that he'll he'll react well to that. Last year, the the previous the last two or three years, Stevens's starting lineups at the beginning of the season are have not even been close to the starting lineups they kind of settle into. Like, David Lee and Tyler Zeller started opening night last year. David Lee and Tyler Zeller, arguably their two worst big men from last year, started the first game. So I don't expect the front court to, to, to kind of 
juggle like that this year. I, I think it'll be more set. I think it's the backcourt, especially, especially, and not the the starting backcourt, but the second unit backcourt where Stevens might have some figuring out to do with with Jalen Brown. What are you going to get from him? Terry Rozier, what is he going to provide? Marcus Smart, can he play point guard in Evan Turner's absence? So there, there's a lot of kind of question marks about that second unit backcourt, but I think the front court, it's Jarebko at the four and either Olinick or Johnson at the five, depending on who doesn't start. Yeah, I think, well, I don't know how kind of constant those lineups are going to be because it feels like to me just watching Brad Stevens the past two years like the first 20 games of the season he's just going to throw a bunch of shit against the wall and see what works it's just kind of trying to every single different lineup combination I think we saw in like the first week of the season last year he used 12 guys like a 12-man rotation it definitely feels like the first quarter of the seasons is kind of experimental phase and I think you're right that the larger questions and the like, the things and the variables he pl- will play around with are more in um, the guards and the, how do they like who's your backup point guard? But who knows with Brad Stevens? He could he could really do anything at this point, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's early on in the season, just because he's trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Now the question I had for you was, what do you think happens to Jordan Mickey? Because he's pretty much can only play center. And is he really going to get any opportunities or is this going to be up in Maine for the rest of the year again? I, I think they have too much depth for him again. And I, I'm not sure he took enough strides. At least in Summer League, it didn't look like he took enough strides to crack a rotation that includes a lot of good players. Like when you look at it, Jonas Jarebko is probably their fourth big right now. Tyler Zeller is their fifth. Those are, those are solid players. Th- those, those guys are no joke. So it's tough. It's a tough rotation for a young big guy to crack, and and Mickey, like obviously he had a great year in the D League. As you said, he's kind of limited to center, and just because he doesn't have the offensive skill set of a power forward, I think he could guard any anybody from four to five or most guys from four to five. But the skill set limits him, and w- until he develops that versatility, and until Kind of there's there's more of an opening. I don't see him getting getting his chance, and, and maybe that means Maine again. Maybe he'll just kind of s- sit on the bench, play play whatever mop up minutes. Maybe somebody gets injured and and he gets a chance that we're not foreseeing. He was he was pretty decent when he actually played for the Celtics in his rookie season, but obviously th- there wasn't a lot of time for him at all. Yeah, I think his biggest problem is that his 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 strength is defense and being able to protect the rim, and you kind of have that with uh, Amir Johnson and Al Horford already. Um, so it's there's not really like a, a direct line for like a reason why he'd be in the game. If if he comes into the game, it's probably a sign that someone else is hurt. Um, and the other question I wanted to ask you is that with the absence of Sullinger, do you think this front court is going to struggle to rebound now? Horford's not really known to be the best rebounder, and some people say it's because of the kind of the scheme he was playing in Atlanta. Some people just kind of say that's the kind of player he is, but definitely they're going to miss Sullinger and his giant ass. Sullinger's giant ass will will definitely be missed. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard from people who watch the Hawks routinely that Horford's a better rebounder than his numbers indicate, and because they were flying around all the time and guarding a lot of guys in the perimeter, that 
his rebounding wasn't that good. But the Hawks were not a good rebounding team last year. And obviously he was their center. I, I foresee that as maybe the biggest issue for the Celtics going into the season is rebounding. And it, it's not just Horford. It's Kelly Olynyk's not a great rebounder. Tyler Zeller's not a great rebounder. Jared Sullinger was their best rebounder, and now he's in Toronto. They decided not to keep him. So, yeah, that, that's an issue. Uh, another thing I, I'm wondering about, and I, I've been wondering about this a lot. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I don't think I've talked about it with you. Can Jalen Brown play power forward right away? Will he get minutes there in his rookie season? That is a good question, and it really, I think it depends on how well he can defend. It feels that's like Brad, it feels like Stevens, if you're not like bought into the team defensive system, and if you're making mistakes, I remember a number of times last year, R.J. Hunter would make yep. two mistakes and then immediately get pulled from the games. Brad Stevens has no patience for you to try and like develop and learn on the fly, so I don't know if he's going to be willing to kind of let Jalen Brown make those mistakes so if he can avoid that I certainly think he has like the kind of physical gifts to be able to do so he is an athletic strong tall dude he can guard probably any power forward and especially uh, more small ball power forwards so I feel like he can contribute I just don't know how much trust Stevens is going to have him in him certainly early on yeah it's like one day he and Jay Crowder could be awesome together like let, let's say Jalen Brown develops a little bit of a three-point stroke and he gets a little stronger and he can handle fours defensively. Who Who's going to be able to guard those guys out of real power forwards? They'll, they'll be able to guard fours. Fours won't be able to guard them. I love that duo moving forward as long as Brown can, can learn how to shoot at least a little bit. But I'm not, I don't think he's ready for it right away. It's, it's really hard to come in and play up a position I think when you're 6'7 even if you're a freak even if you have 7 foot long wingspan even if you're as powerful and explosive as he is it's it's just tough to be an NBA big guy because you have so many responsibilities you have to cut off the lane you have to guard pick and rolls you have to do all these things that Jalen Brown probably wasn't asked to do much at California last season and to, to learn that at the NBA is, is going to be a tough transition. So I'm not sure that he'll play many minutes at the four right away, although it, it might end up being his best position. One day. No, I think that's definitely one of the reasons why um, they drafted him. Is And you hear Stevens on the Simmons podcast talk about uh, defensive versatility. and Weasel Babel. Brad. Weasel Brad just weaseling his way out of questions. But there was some substance, nothing really that new. But he was talking about um, defensive versatility and one of the reasons Jalen Brown like was their pick. Another issue is that he's only played, what, at most 30 games in a season? Like, There's going to be a rookie wall, especially if he's banging against guys who are much bigger than him. Like The physical toll is going to hit him early. So I don't know. You're right. I think ultimately that's his position, but not, not this year. Yeah. I, I, I mean, ultimately, he'll, he'll be able to play two, three, and four, I think. Like he's got the mobility to guard twos he's going to be strong enough and big enough to guard fours and he's probably a natural three so one day that dude is going to be really fun to coach and fun to to kind of toggle around with and and throw him in different lineups i just don't know how much 
of that will be will be demonstrated right away. So we'll see. I, I, obviously, there are minutes behind Crowder at the three, but I also like. It would also be nice to see him play at least some minutes at the four. And I think you know Brad always gets the like they get down a little. Brad's he'll throw some crazy crap off the wall. He'll go to four guard lineups. He'll go to just fun, weird, funky stuff in hopes of coming back. And so I th- I think you will see some of him at the four at least at least in moments like that when when Stevens is like shoulder shrug whatever let's 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 try this out screw it let's experiment on the fly so yeah we'll see we'll see with Jalen Brown we'll see with all this stuff and I don't know man is there anything else you want to talk about with the front court oh there's one thing that actually uh, I was playing pickup yesterday and there's this kid in like a hawk shirt and I was just talking to him and I was asking him what the Celtics are getting in Al Horford, and the first thing that came out of did, his mouth was, "Start crying." No, he just said, "Soft." He said, "Al Horford is soft," and I had never heard that. And I like tried to pick his brain a little bit and see if he was just like kind of a a hurt Hawks fan. And he was no, he was tried to be like very rational about it and just said, "He's like very good technically, but he's soft." And this is the first I ever heard of it, so I was kind of shocked. And I was like. You know the league uh, way better than I do. Is this a reputation that Horford has? I have never heard Horford described as soft. This is the very first time. Normally, all you hear about him is how awesome he is at every part of basketball, or at least how very good he is at every part of basketball. So soft, soft is not something I've heard. And soft is not something you see when you see him play. He he looks pretty tough to me to be able to guard fives. To be able to slide over, move your feet, stay in front of twos and guys in the pick and roll. He wasn't that soft when he was destroying the Celtics offense last season. Yeah, I just can't. There's no image in my head where he's getting, like, beaten by some guy who's smaller than them or physically dominated by another guy. I just, like, have never really seen Al Horford, like, meet or play against someone who's just, like, dominated him physically. So I don't know what this guy was talking about, but I just had to run it by someone else because I thought it was a crazy thing to, uh, for someone to say. I love it. We're, we're getting the, the uneducated Hawks fan side on here too. We are we do it all here on the, the Locked On Celtics podcast. As usual, as I said earlier, as I say every episode, follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audioboom. Search for Locked On Celtics. Subscribe to us. Rate us. We deserve it. We give you podcast daily podcast now, and media day is on Monday. Things are starting to get kicking. The season is coming. Basketball is almost here, and we'll be here with you every day. So go subscribe to us, and we'll catch you next time on the Locked On Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.